This is your home of the Oregon Ducks. Up to Brown Jr. Passes off to Smith for the dunk with two hands. And we love to talk about them. With expert interviews, insight, and analysis, this is Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 The Game. Oh, all right, what's good, Portland? Another Wednesday evening from 1029-750, the game studios here in the Pac West Center, corner of 5th and Jefferson, downtown Portland. I'm Judah Newby, and this is the Quack Attack for the final time this season. Chris Partee spitting it behind the glass, as always. Partee, I came in today with a heavy heart. <laughs> I had I had the post-show blues all afternoon, because it's just a sad day, man. Knowing yeah. it's the last episode of the show, it is a sad day. We've been through war together. I know. Yeah, it's too soon. What are you going to remember most? It, that... <sighs> so much to choose from since January 3rd. I know, I know. It, it seems like it's been longer than that, actually. But Best 12 weeks of my life, man. Every week is fun. I, t- I tell you all the time, I always look forward to coming in here. Just getting ready for the tournament. That's what I really just remember, getting yeah. ready for the tournament. Yep. Both. You know, potentially the NCAA or NIT and also the Pac-12 tournament. Pac-12 tournament week was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, we reunited with uh, with Greg Peterson that week yes. from Vegas. That was a lot of fun. And just the potential was there. That was right before the Washington State game that Wednesday night. Yeah. It was close. Yeah. They yeah. were close. And they... Uh, <laughs> You know, they, they beat Wazoo and they beat Utah on back-to-back Kenny Wooten blocks. I consider that uh, the high point of the season. Yeah. You know, those two two-point wins no. to get to the Pac-12 tournament semifinals, that's the high point of the season. Then they got their butts handed to them by USC. And yeah. it's just like, all right, that's the team I recognize. And I mean, that's I guess, team. exactly. I guess at this you point, know? that would be the high point, right? It, it, <laughs> it had to be. Because here we are. Why is it the last week of the show? Y'all might be wondering, where, where's the quack attack going? Well, it's because Oregon men's basketball their season's over. We don't have any immediate plans for the Quack Attack to continue with, you know, baseball season or spring football, which, by the way, is one month from today, if you're counting strictly by days. April 21st, spring uh, spring game is at Audson Stadium, April 21st. So we're about four weeks away from that, which, uh, you know, you think about where the football program was this time last year, and Willie Taggart had just taken over, and Darren Carrington had three touchdown catches in the spring game last year. That and seems like so long ago. Doesn't it, though? And it's like, you know, we were so caught up in all that. You know, oh, Herbert Carrington is going to be like the next next evolution of Oregon football. And then, boom, Carrington, July, peaced. He's out. McDonald's, downtown Eugene. You know, the rest is history. Taggart comes in. Everybody's fired up. They get the wins over, uh, gosh, what was it? Southern Utah week one. Uh, Nebraska week two. Killed Josh Allen in Wyoming week three. You know, moved into Pac-12 play. 5-0. and Everything was rolling. Then Herbert got hurt. Everything took went to a valley at that point. And then I remember, you know, I was doing pregame at Odson for the Civil War. And I kind of threw out uh, at my prediction then <laughs> that uh, that Oregon would beat Oregon State by a historic margin. And it would be Willie Taggart's first and only Civil War. Because the rumors were hot at that point with at FSU. That, yeah, already, yeah, at that point, yeah. And uh, the chip to UCLA news came out earlier that day. Okay. And it was insane that day. And I remember saying, I, I turned to my co-host, I was like, all right, man, I think this is Willie Taggart's first and only Civil War he ever coaches in. I think the Ducks beat the Beavers by the biggest margin in Civil War history. 
Both those things happen. Both those <laughs> things happen. You called it. Nostradamus over here. You know, I got to take my wins where I can get them. Um, speaking of wins or lack thereof, Oregon season ended Sunday at Marquette. 101-92 was the final Marquette. This was a beatdown, folks, also. Nine-point game in the end, but don't let that fool you. 25-point game early in the fourth quarter. Marquette rolled in this one. They were up by 11 at the end of the first quarter, and they didn't look back on that. So Marquette cruised in this one. Shot 57% from the floor. Defense optional in the NIT, man. These kids don't want to be there. They just don't. They can say whatever the heck they want. At this point in the season, if you're not playing in the NCAA tournament, good luck if you're a coach trying to motivate 18- to 19-year-olds. You're not going to be able to do it. Defense optional for the Ducks. They let Ryder score 86 points in the first round of the NIT. What do you think was going to happen in a true road game at Marquette? They put up 101. 58 points in the first half was the most points in a single half Oregon has allowed defensively all season long. So this was a hardly an impressive season finale. You know what, though? Big picture. That's all right. Okay. It's the NIT, right, Party? I mean, we didn't have a ton of expectation for the NIT for this team. It just was a little disheartening that they couldn't put up much of a defensive effort. Now, give Marquette credit. Hot from on the arc. But when you got it done, I'm tuning in on a Sunday afternoon because I'm looking for March Madness games. You know, I'm like, oh, that's right. Oregon's played Marquette. It doesn't do me much favors when I flip over to ESPN2 and see it's 50 to 25 late first half. Yeah, they're already down by that much. Yeah. And you just flipped over. It's, it's, like, the, it, it's like, really? Now and, I feel worse than I did if I just didn't watch yeah. the game at all. Now, quick question about the NIT. Shoot. For those that weren't paying attention, and a lot of you probably weren't paying attention to the NIT, what do you think about the quarter system for college basketball that they tried out? I It's a great question, and I like it. Yeah. I really like it. You got four 10-minute quarters as opposed to two 20-minute abs. The reason I like it is because, and this has been said in other places before, but I want to reiterate, you get the most exciting play in basketball four times a game now, which is the buzzer beater, right? It's the it's the countdown. It's what we all do from the age of five years old in the driveway. It's let's count it down from 15 to, to well, I can't, I don't know why I count it so high. Most kids just step back, they count down from five to zero, and then they call it good. But I like to draw it out. I count down from 15. Uh, but, you know, you count it down and you do the step back jumpers, you do whatever. You get that four times a game in the NIT, and it makes for a very exciting play. I'm all for it. I don't really know how the increased width of the key really helps the game or hinders the game. I don't know. They, they expanded the key to be the same yeah. proportions of the NBA. Yep. I don't really know what kind of effect that has. Well, they, I think it has an effect on spacing. As right. far as spacing and right. defense and especially teams that like Syracuse that plays that 2-3 matchup zone. That's crazy. That's going to extend people. You see what they did to Michigan State with that, although not the same rules, but I'm just saying if yeah. you add that in, it's going to have an effect eventually because these kids, they got to get used to playing like that. Well, so and it'll it, have an effect. And to your point of spacing, you know that's also reflected in the expanded three-point line that they did by 20 inches. And, you know, that that's significant to me, and I, I think I made this point last week, but I don't think that will necessarily mean less three-point attempts. I think it actually might mean more three-point attempts yeah. just because <laughs> kids are going to shoot threes. Like, that's the way it's going. And, like, when you got guys like Steph Curry in the NBA now and Trey Young and one and done in Oklahoma, shooting the three-pointer is not going to decrease. It's going to increase from here on out. So expanding the three-point line back 20 inches, which is what they did in the NIT, it, to me it won't discourage the frequency of three-point shot attempts. Attempts, but it will, party to your point, affect the spacing and affect defensive strategy and affect, I don't know, pick and rolls closer to half court. Think of all that spacing. It will put an impetus on 
point guards that have the ability to shoot and handle the basketball. Oh yeah, like big a, time. Uh, like a Trey Young, you know, <laughs> like time. like other guys in, in college basketball, but can also get to the rim too. So I personally, and I made this point too, but it will mean longer rebounds on three point attempts because they're obviously deeper, right? That's just physics. You know, you're gonna get the ball bouncing in exactly. all sorts of ways, and that means more fast breaks. Bingo. That means more offensive rebounds. Potentially, yeah. it means a more exciting brand of college a basketball game. All that being said, and a faster game means a better TV product, which if you're talking dollars and cents is the best, you know, that's what's in the best interest of the fans. And let's be honest, that's really what it's all about for the networks. Right. It's all about dollar, dollar bill. So that, and so this whole conversation, this whole conversation fits into the overall narrative of, Hey, why are these minute rule changes? Why are these experiments? Why are they significant? Why are they important? Well, because for any big picture evolution to change it starts with minor changes it starts here so yeah i, I think you're right party i think these small modifications and they are they are experience experiments at this stage of the process i think they are significant and i'm a fan of them too um i'm a fan of the quarter system i'm a fan of the three-point line the expanded key all that good stuff you know i just hope Hopefully we won't ever get to six on six. I think five on oh five is fine. Yeah, right? let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there. A um, couple of shout outs for for Duck players that set single season records. Even though this was overall a season that was marred by a lot of ups and downs, but Elijah Brown, the uh, senior transfer two guard, he set a single season program record for free throw percentage this year. He went ninety three percent from the free throw line this year. So nice job for Elijah. Peyton Pritchard, the sophomore from West Lynn, sixth in the program history for single season assists. He had one hundred seventy one assists this year. So big uh, big shout out to Peyton Pritchard. A lot was on his plate in terms of responsibility as well. We'll talk about him more in a moment. And Kenny Wooten Earlier this afternoon, Kenny announced that he's going to return to his sophomore season, and that was widely assumed regardless, but good to hear from him on social media. He set a single-season program record for efficiency, 68.1% field goal percentage for Kenny Wooten. And, of course, his block numbers are absolutely crazy, so he'll keep setting program records in that department. As for the team, a 23-13 and overall record, 10-8 and in conference, some brutal close losses along the way. I'm thinking of both those USC games in particular. A couple of those close wins in the Pac-12 tournament. I thought that was the high water mark. The semifinal blowout loss to USC. That was tough. But overall, still, it's a 20-win season for the Ducks. 23 wins in all. So that's eight years in a row that Oregon has won 20 or more games. They are one of just 15 programs in the country that can say that. Eight straight years of 20-plus victories. Dana Altman now tied for 31st all-time in Division One history for wins as a coach. He has 620 wins. That ties him with longtime Utah State and Colorado State coach Stu Morrill at that mark. Shout-out Stu Morrill and the Morrill family on the Quack Attack. That's just 30 coaches in history that have won more Division One games than Dana Altman. That's pretty impressive. As for what Oregon returns next year, I'm just going to go ahead and assume Troy Brown Jr. goes to the draft. That seems to fit the mentality and the appetite of a talented 18-year-old. I just I can't bank on the fact that an 18-year-old that's talented like that, that might have a shot to go to the top 20 or top 15 in the draft, would want to come back to uh, to Eugene. I think he's going to piece. 
But what do they have coming in next year? A lot to be excited about. Highlighted by Lewis King, the five-star small forward from New Jersey. He's ready to be the best uh, scoring star on the team next year. Then you've got the five-star, seven-foot-three-inch big man, Bull Bull. You can imagine him playing next to Kenny Wooten next year. Seven-foot-three, Bull Bull, and Kenny Wooten on the same team. That's going to be ridiculous rim protection and rebounding. you got Peyton Pritchard at the point guard. He'll be a junior next year with hopefully a little less pressure and demand on him. And hopefully he takes takes the next step. Victor Bailey Jr. We saw him mature nicely with his deep shooting at the end of the season. Hopefully he takes the next step as a sophomore. And Oregon gets a big time four-star guard, Will Richardson out of Oak Hill Academy. He's a six foot four inch scorer. And you can't forget about six foot eight inch Miles Norris. He's a four-star forward out of San Diego. All those kids, Norris, Richardson, King, and Bull Bull, they're all going to be incoming freshmen next year in addition to Peyton Pritchard, in addition to Kenny Wooten and Victor Bailey Jr. So still plenty to be excited about going forward, especially considering what the rest of the Pac-12 looks like because Arizona is just a hot mess right now. I mean, everything surrounding that team, and today you had DeAndre Ayton declare that he's going to go to the NBA draft. That's no surprise. I personally think he's going to be the top pick, either him or Marvin Bagley, but I, I'm I'm an Ayton guy. Partee, do you feel a type of way one way or the other? Between I was just going to ask you who would you go with. I'm I'm, I'm going Bagley. <laughs> I don't blame you. I'm going Bagley. It, if I had the number one pick, I'm going Bagley over Aiden. That's just me. and it's it's it, minuscule, yeah. very close, but I'm I'm going Bagley. Does it uh, not smell a little bit like Odin and Durant? And I don't want to put that on Aiden. Ooh. I don't want to put that on Aiden. <laughs> but if you go back to 07, especially in this market, yeah. you know, Odin was. 90% of people you talked to said Odin was the guy. All right, that was just it. It was an overwhelming favorite to be the number one pick because he was the big man. That's who you build around. You had B-Roy. You had your other backcourt in place. Aldridge in the front court, yeah. and then throw Odin in there. There's your piece to build for the future. It was a slam dunk. Part I'm going to guess that you slam were, dunk. I'm going to guess you were a part of the 10%. I, no, I was not. I was, I was really? on Odin. Yeah, big time. Now, here's the thing. Um, I was also a, a Texas fan because I really liked uh, yeah. <laughs> Royale Ivy. Do you remember? <laughs> do you, oh wow! Do you remember that? You're from you're from UT area, right? You're no, I, I lived area? there for three years, but okay. I'm, yeah, but I know. Yeah, right. so <laughs> I remember. I, all I say is I, I like Rick Barnes. I like Royale Ivy, DJ Augustine. Those yeah. later oh, on, yeah. those were my guys. And Katie obviously was a one and done with Rick Barnes at yeah. Texas, but I loved him. And I think if memory serves, I think Texas was a five seed in Katie's. First and only year, yeah. And they lost to four seed USC because Taj Gibson was on that yeah, USC that's right. team. That's right. And uh, I just remember that game, and I'll be like, "Oh, I was rooting for KD. It didn't work out." But I didn't have the foresight or the knowledge, or like you know, I was I was in middle school. Yeah. I was like, I, I couldn't scout these guys. But you know, I think of Bill Simmons was one of the guys that was on the Durant train. You know, I think yeah. a lot of guys were, but yeah. the overwhelming narrative at that time I remember was Odin over Durant, slam dunk. Does that mean the same thing for Aiton Bagley? I don't think so. But the way that you see Bagley dominate a game, all aspects, you saw him do it in the ACC tournament. You saw him do it against Rhode Island. You see him do it right now. It's the all-around game. He has the all-around game. He's a difference maker, an elite player at every level. I mean, you hate to compare him to LeBron at this stage, but, I mean, it's an (laughs) all-around game. It's an all-around game that you saw from LeBron when he came in. Did you see what LeBron did tonight, by the way? Yeah. He, I saw a little uh, bit of it. Not all, not the whole game. I was I here, but I saw a little bit of it. I, th- I can't remember the point total. 37 points, I think, but 17 assists party. Yeah. Guess how many turnovers? 
Probably two. None. Are you serious? He went <laughs> seventeen and zero. It's just a turnover. Seventeen to nothing, man. Who does that? They call him the king. That's crazy. LeBron. I uh, also heard a podcast with Bill Hader the other day talking about the comedian Bill Hader talking about uh, what it was like shooting with LeBron for Trainwreck a couple of years ago. And LeBron's sneaky good actor. You know, like he actually took it all in stride, did a really nice job. He 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 owned the part. It, it was hilarious. I ended up going like on an hour long rabbit trail watching Trainwreck on uh, on YouTube. Uh, you know, that's classic millennial. Nice. Classic millennial <laughs> problems. Nice. Oh yeah, we should ninety minutes the other day on a YouTube rabbit trail. I happen. Let's uh let's get out of the first segment on that note. Come back on the other side, Tyson Alger, the Oregonian Oregon Live. He joins us for one final time, the most recurring guest in history of the Quack Attack show, Tyson Alger. He's next on the Quack Attack with Judah Newby, Chris Barty spinning it behind the glass. This is 1029 and 750 the game. Back to Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. We're talking high points, low points of Quack Attack this year. Low points, when they took away the Judah bumps. It hurt my soul, Party. It hurt my soul. Don't get me started. <laughs> I think, Don't you know. Don't get me started on that. I think we should just have a special show where it's like we just have the content, but we also just float the bump music underneath the whole show long. Never take it away. I would like that. You know? I would like that a lot. Quack Attack must live on. Uh, it is the final show, in case you're just coming in cold, because Oregon men's basketball season did come to an end, and we've been playing generic bump music the last two weeks. Show's qualitatively taken a turn for the worse, but you know what? You power through. It's what, it's what you do. If there's one thing you learn from college basketball, you overcome obstacles. <laughs> Some of ours are, uh, you know, more uh, pathetic than others. It's all right. I'll, I'll just yeah, say that's that. all right. <laughs> Let's go out to the phones right now one final time and talk to uh, Tyson Ollinger of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Follow him on Twitter, at Tyson Ollinger. And Tyson is the most frequent recurring guest in the history of the Quack Attack. That's got to feel good, right, Tyson? Yeah. Do I, do I, do I get a T-shirt or something? Uh, yeah. yeah. I've been checking my mail. There is a T-shirt on its way. It's funny that you brought that up. It's a bro tank, actually. Is that okay? <laughs> Perfect. That's all I get. With a hashtag quack attack on the front. So uh, on that note, uh, Tyson, Oregon goes to Marquette, and uh, it didn't go well. And to be honest, Oregon's defense in both games of the NIT didn't go very well. But uh, given the 101-92 results from Sunday afternoon and uh, Oregon's season officially closing, uh, what did you make of, of Oregon's postseason appearance? Uh, you know, especially with that Marquette game, it just kind of felt like it was about time. And and and, and I don't I don't mean that in a degrading way uh, for Oregon. I, I think obviously they they benefited from this postseason. But um, you know, you you saw it in the Pac-12 tournament. They looked just about out of gas and, and pulled out two wins just by their shoestrings. And uh, then you move on to the NIT where they they were down to Ryder by double digits in the second half and. Um, you know, you had to go play at Marquette, and Marquette's a, a sneaky good team with a really good home crowd. And you know, it it just kind of felt like that this was the game that there was going to be no magic for the Ducks to pull out to keep the season going. And uh, um, so, obviously, you know, I, I think on the whole, you could say it was a relatively disappointing season for the Ducks, not making the NCAA tournament with a lot of this talent. But I, I do think there was a lot of positives you could pull out from it. And 
and I think just the way they kind of found uh, found a way to grid out some of those wins towards the end when it was pretty obvious that the Ducks were uh, uh, mismatched uh, kind of talent and experience and probably even energy-wise. So uh, I, I think it was kind of a mixed bag for, for them to end the season. But then again, when you compare it to the rest of the Pac-12, it's not like Oregon's really missing out on the party too much right now. No kidding, man. I mean, this is such a unique year and not in a good way, for the alleged <laughs> Conference of Champions. What is your take on what's been going on in Pac-12 basketball on the men's side this year? You know, it's, it's pretty shocking because I, I even, so as bad as it was this year, it, we were all seeing the same things two years ago when the Pac-12 had, uh, I believe, seven teams in the tournament. And going into the tournament, all the talk was about how good the Pac-12 is uh, or was that year. Because Arizona was good again, I, I believe. UCLA was good that year, um, and uh, then I think Oregon was the only one to make it out of the opening weekend, and, and so that was a disappointing year for the Pac-12, and then if you compare that year to this year, I mean, you would take that in a heartbeat. I mean, the fact that, um, you know, it was only uh, Arizona and UCLA making the tournament, neither of them made it out of the opening day, uh, the fact that just about every team uh, really didn't show up in the NIT either. I, I know Utah is still alive, but... Um, it, it's pretty shocking for for a conference that you know is usually there towards the end. Last year, uh, Oregon, UCLA, and Arizona all I think made the Sweet Sixteen. The year before, Oregon was in the lead eight. Um, it, it, it was pretty shocking, and the the I'm just really interested to see what sort of impact this has going forward. Because you know, one of your bona fide teams over the last decade or so, Arizona, you have no idea where they're going to be next year or five years down the road. Because right now they're losing all five of their starters. They don't have a single recruit signed. Uh, Arizona is, has often been kind of, uh, uh, you know, the boat that's pulling the, the rest of the ship uh, with the Pac-12 and everyone's followed suit. So uh, it'll be interesting to see who, who kind of step up, steps up next year. Is it, is it Oregon that kind of uh, retakes the torch after a, a, a mid-year this year, or is uh, it going to be somebody else, or is this just kind of going to be kind of the new normal as uh, kind of one of the worst Power Fives at, uh, at basketball? Tyson Alger, he's on Twitter, at Tyson Alger. And uh, in that vein, Tyson, looking at this Oregon basketball roster for next season and Lewis King and, and Bull Bull highlighting a, a pretty nice recruiting class for next year, but the potential departure of Troy Brown Jr., as well as this afternoon's news, quote-unquote, that Kenny, New Kenny uh, Wooten will be returning for his sophomore season. Um, I mean, I only put quotes around it because I didn't, I didn't really think that he had a <laughs> right. that much of a valid shot to be drafted, but you never know. Um, what do you make of Oregon's personnel in terms of what they return and and uh, what's coming in for their recruiting class next year? I mean, I, on on paper, it's really good, and, and but that's that's the thing that kind of scares you as an Oregon fan is because on paper they were supposed to be pretty darn good this year. Um, but but that being said, I mean, Bull Bull, I, I think if you have a seventh foot. Some foot three five star coming in that has the tape of Bobo. I, I think that's going to be pretty reliably. Uh, I think you'll be able to get a contribution out of that. <laughs> is yeah. what I'm trying to say. And, and and for as kind of up and down as Troy Brown was this year, he he had for a freshman a perfectly fine season. It's just that he came in with such high expectations. I mean, if, if you look number for number, uh, he had a better freshman year than Tyler Bosey. He had a better freshman year than Dylan Brooks. The difference is. That Troy Brown was expected to be a one and done, and neither of those guys were. So I don't know if you'll get Brown back. I, I was talking to a, a, a guy in the, a, an NBA front front office yesterday who said uh, he thinks it's 
pretty pretty fifty fifty as to whether or not he thinks Troy Brown's a first round talent. I would imagine if if uh, Brown falls out of the first round, I bet you he comes back because just you know it's very obvious that he has a lot of things to work on. He, he needs to get stronger on the ball. He needs to have a better mid-range and long-range shot. Um, you know, the one thing I like about him is he still can do a lot of things in a game when, when he's not scoring. But, um, you know, if, if they get him back with Luton and uh, King and Bull Bull coming in, they're going to have a really good nucleus. Um, I, I would just really like them to see – I would really like to see them get another guard that can handle the ball and take some of the pressure off of uh, Peyton Pritchard for a full game because Pritchard's usage was just so high this season. And uh, I, I just think they, they need a kind of a, a pass first guy in there as well. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see what they have next year. But uh, they're certainly, I think they'll be uh, uh, projected as a front runner in the conference, especially uh, with uh, what ha- what's happened to Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talking about the NCAA tournament this year and all the surprising results, uh, not the least of which the first time a one seed has ever lost to a 16 seed with UMBC beating Virginia. Tyson, I know you're an AP top 25 voter, so you've got your uh, finger to the pulse of the national uh, landscape all season long in that vein. And in la- in that light, what what's going on here? Like, I mean, how do we? Uh, is this the craziest bracket you've ever seen? Craziest results, or are we making too much of it? Or is is this really? I mean, eleven seed Loyola, Sweet Sixteen, all these ones and twos being out. What whatever is going on in the South region? I mean, it's it's crazy this year. Well, I, I will say you're the first person who's ever used my my standing as an AP top twenty five voter to accuse me of knowing what's going on around the country. Usually, it's, uh, this, this idiot, idiot doesn't know what he's doing. It is uh, an accusation. Um, it is an accusation, no doubt. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, I'd love to tell you that I saw this coming and that uh, you know it, it was predictable and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but in the bracket that I filled out that I forgot to submit, I had Arizona winning the ball. So uh, <laughs> I, I can't pretend like I'm an expert here. But but I will say, I think this was this is my fourth year doing the voting, and this was like the first year out of out of the four where there just wasn't really a like you know a group of like three or four teams that were just completely dominant throughout the whole year. I mean, there was a lot of parity. There was a lot of those Sunday nights where I have to you know start filling out my uh, my ballot and you look and you saw that just about three quarters of the top 25 teams lost which which you know that happened three or four times this year which which doesn't generally happen so i i just think there wasn't really a, a group of incredibly solid teams i mean you still have like duke in there you still have uh, uh michigan was played really well down the stretch so i, I think uh, i don't think what they're doing is surprising and then uh, you have a Kentucky team that was kind of all over the place this season, but it looks like they're peaking at the right time, and it helps that they have a lot of help on their side of the bracket. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't get it, man. I mean, it, it was probably the most fun four days of the tournament that I've watched. Um, it's also probably the most basketball I've watched um, throughout the whole tournament uh, in the first four days in the last few years just because Oregon wasn't in it, and I didn't have to be working all, all day. So right. it, it's been it, it's definitely been a, a little bit weird to be on the sidelines here and watching it, but it's, it's certainly been enjoyable. Tyson Alger of the Oregonian and Oregon Live is our guest. Transitioning to the football side of things with uh, April around the corner and with it, the spring game. I uh, want to talk about the Ducks on the gridiron. The pro day was uh, last week, and who in your mind, Tyson, that participated in the pro day did the most f- to help themselves uh, in the eyes of NFL scouts? 
Uh, it was definitely Kniebe and Wah and Arion Springs. Kniebe, a running back, and Arion, a, a, a cornerback. But is a guy that throughout his whole career, he's just kind of got rich human best over this. And, you know, we all saw his development over the last two years or so where it just looked like Kniebe was getting stronger and leaner and faster and running with authority. And, uh, I mean, if you go back and look at his stats, I think he only had about six 600 yards rushing, but it was on – very minimal carries. I mean, he, he was a, a force out there when, when he was on the field last season. So uh, he, he ran a, a 40 time that was, depending on who you ask, between 4-4 and about uh, about 4-5-6 or so, kind of in that mid-range. You got about 30 guys with stop watching, so it's all going to differentiate. But that's right where he needed to be. He just needed to show that he had uh, a decent to above average speed. Uh, he had a faster time than Norris Freeman, and he just looked good out there. I mean, he, the way he was moving, cutting, catching the ball, uh, he looked fit. I, I think uh, Benoit has uh, definitely uh, turned some heads. And, and same with Arion Springs. You know, he was a guy that he was part, a part of that secondary that was so uh, criticized for about two years, you know, the, the end of the Don Pelham and Brady Hoke era. Uh, but Springs completely turned his career around last year. Uh, you know, he's not a super flashy corner. He's, I think he has two interceptions to his name. He doesn't catch all that well. Uh, but, you know, in all the kind of advanced metrics, uh, Arion was uh, right around there after the tax roll last season, and, and he worked really good at Pro Day, Pro Day and had about uh, four or five scouts talking with him for about 15 minutes afterwards. So uh, I think he definitely helped his chances there. So many new faces on the uh, coaching staff of Mario Cristobal. How impressed are you with the mustache of Aaron Feld? Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, he knows what he's doing, which surprises <laughs> me. It's a relatively new thing, um, and, you know, a guy his age, he's about, I think he's 28, 29. You know, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience with the mustache. So he kind of grew it on a bet, and it turned into one of those things where it, the mustache kind of got too famous, and so he has to keep it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I respect uh, his dedication to the craft uh, as a guy that's usually, I have a beard sometimes. I'll, I'll, I'll go down to a mustache at the men's league hockey championship game every once in a while. But, um, you know, that, that guy's got some talent, and I I think he's a good. Uh, I think he's probably a good coach too. But uh, it, it's kind of funny how the mustache kind of uh, uh, has its own uh, its own fandom in itself. It really does. Um, with the spring game coming up April twenty first, what are you looking at between now and then? What are some storylines that uh, you'll be keeping an eye on? Uh, I think just uh, one, just a gelling of some of the new coaches. I mean, they were able to keep kind of like the main pieces of the coaching staff together, but, you know, there's always two or three new coaches, and uh, this is about the third year in a row the Ducks have gone through this, but I think they'll be okay there. But I, I really want to see how the receivers continue to develop. I think that's the big glaring hole on this team because you have a Heisman caliber quarterback. You have a, a very uh, experienced offensive line. The defense obviously made uh, large strides last season, but right now you just got a, a really good quarterback with not a whole lot of bona fide guys to throw to. So at some point, some of those guys are going to have to stand up and uh, uh, you know get them and get them going in the right direction, heading towards uh, fall camp. Tyson, always look forward to talking to you, and thanks so much for being the most recurring guest on the Quack Attack <laughs> this year. Bro Tank is on its way. I've got all ten of my producers on it. Perfect, perfect, and I'm and I'm updating my resume too to put most uh, most appeared on Quack. <laughs> yeah. Mark me down as a reference. Uh, there it is, Tyson Alger. Thanks, Tyson.
Hey, thanks, man. All right, we'll go away, come back. Oregon and Oregon State women's hoops in the Sweet 16. We'll preview those matchups and bring you a key matchup presented by the Oregon College Savings Plan, and I'll make all my picks for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. So uh, cover your ears for that one, considering how my round one and round two picks went. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to be the expert. All right, we'll get out, come back. Crocodile, more next. More Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 The Game. Shout out Kelly Graves and Scott Ruick for getting their respective women's programs into the Sweet 16 for another year. You know, for as crappy Pac-12 basketball has been on the men's side of things, it's been that much more exciting on the women's side. Four teams in the uh, Pac-12 made the Sweet 16. So four out of the 16 from the Pac-12. The ACC also has four teams. Uh, And, of course, you got UConn out of the American Conference that uh, looks like they're going to dominate all. But there is a chance, and I know it's a slim chance, but there is a chance that we see a Final Four in women's basketball this year. That would be UConn as the one, Mississippi State as the two, Oregon State, now if they can somehow you know upset Baylor and make a run all the way as a six seed, Oregon State can make it, and Oregon. They are a two seed, and they have the shortest commute up to Spokane. Notre Dame is the number one seed in Oregon's region. Notre Dame, of course, coming all the way from Indiana to Spokane, and the Ducks just from Eugene to Spokane. So there's a really good shot that at least Oregon makes the Final Four, hopefully for the Beavers as well. But, um, you know, it's been... A very exciting year in women's basketball. I'm going to be that guy that says, I have the capacity to have more fun and take more enjoyment out of watching a well-played women's game than a Pac-12 men's basketball game. I'm that guy. You know, I obviously I understand the stylistic, the fundamental stylistic differences between the men's and women's games, especially at the collegiate level. But there is something to be said for smart passing, for good cutting, for great um, shooting that Oregon has. Oregon has ridiculous three-point shooting. You know, they, they've got a top-10 scoring offense in the country right now, do the Ducks. Oregon State has one of the best three-point percentage offenses in the entire country. And a great senior post player in Murray Gulich. Both of these teams are fundamentally sound. They're coached well. They execute well. They both pull upsets. And I think they're both peaking at the right time. And to be fair, I, I'll watch one of their games... More often than I'll watch Arizona Cal. Like, I've seen DeAndre Ayton play a lot. I turned on Arizona Cal a couple weeks ago. Not going to watch that game. No offense, Cal. Not going to watch that game. (laughs) I will watch Oregon State play Stanford in women's basketball instead. Higher quality basketball for the players that are playing. It just is, objectively. That's just true. So, I don't know. I want to take a moment and uh, and shout out both the Ducks and Beavers women's teams. There's a chance this could be history-making. And you think about it big picture. So, by the way, if you're not aware what's going to go on this weekend, it is the Sweet 16. Oregon State is the sixth seed. They are coming off an upset of the three-seed Tennessee Lady Vols over the weekend. And it was the first time in history that Tennessee women's basketball has lost a home game in the NCAA tournament. Because on the women's NCAA tournament, you play actual home games as opposed to these neutral site games. You don't get to the neutral site part of it until the Sweet 16, which is where we are now. But last weekend, Tennessee was playing a true home game. Oregon State went in there and beat them. The Lady Vols previously were 57-0. and 57-0 and in home NCAA tournament games. Oregon State went in and beat them as a sixth seed. 
So what's up next? It's the Beavers taking on the two-seed Baylor Bears in Lexington, Kentucky, Friday at 4 p.m. The winner faces the winner of one-seed Louisville and four-seed Stanford. That will be in the Elite Eight. In Spokane, you have two-seed Oregon facing this year's Cinderella team, the 11-seed Central Michigan. That's Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock. The winner there will go to the Elite Eight and face either one-seed Notre Dame or four-seed Texas A&M. With no men's game for Oregon this year or this week, Let's fire it up, party. Let's hit the key matchup. Which matchup will be critical for the Ducks' success? Judah Newby breaks down the key matchup. Brought to you by Oregon College Savings Plan. Imagine the possibilities. For Oregon State Baylor, Beaver senior Marie Gulich, I mean, she's playing some awesome basketball. She was the go-to scorer down the stretch for the season for Oregon State and really all season long, too. But uh, she really, really cares more than anybody else on the court about wins, wins and losses. Scott Ruick, her head coach, joined the Ball Face Youth with John Cazano earlier this week. Ruick had this to say about Marie Gulich. Our one senior, Marie Gulich, she's playing incredible basketball. Her numbers are off the charts this year. And, you know, we've gotten beat four times this year. And all four were to to good teams. There has not been a loss without tears in her eyes. And I think her competitiveness has just spoken volumes, you know, to this team that's relatively young and inexperienced. And as we're growing, I think they're looking at her and saying, "Okay, this is what it's about." So Gulich though has a tough task. Gulich is six foot five, and Baylor has a couple players that are above six five in the front court. Baylor always has real tall, physical players down low. Uh, This year is no exception. That being said, Baylor is a team that has lost in the Elite Eight four years in a row. That's four straight years being one win away from the Final Four, not being able to make it. So they're hungry to get back to the Final Four this year, which is in Columbus, Ohio. Oregon State trying to trump that. So that's going to be my key matchup, Marie Gulich against the Baylor Bear front court. Also, you know, key matchup 1B, Baylor's starting point guard, a senior, uh, messed up her knee in the regular season finale. That's a season-ending injury. So Baylor is playing a backup freshman point guard who's averaging like 14 points and five assists per game. That's good numbers, obviously, but still, nonetheless, a backup point guard. Uh, for the Ducks, Sabrina Ionescu, she's just playing on another level right now. 29 points for the Ducks in their most recent victory over Minnesota. And the Ducks uh, taking on a Central Michigan team, the Chippewas, the 11 seed in Spokane. This is very dangerous for Oregon because the Chippewas are exactly the type of team that Oregon was last year. Oregon was a 10 seed last year with a bunch of young freshman talent that went all the way to the Elite Eight. Central Michigan looks a ton like this Oregon team. Central Michigan has already pulled two upsets already, including the three seed Ohio State in Columbus. They beat them. That's not easy to do. So, you know, I think the Ducks need to be on their P's and Q's taking on Central Michigan. That's going to be Saturday at 3 p.m. You know, I'm going to pick Oregon to win against Central Michigan Saturday. I think they win again Monday against that uh, winner of Notre Dame. I can't remember who Notre Dame is playing. But uh, I think they win both of those games. Notre Dame or Texas A&M. I think the Ducks beat Central Michigan. I think they beat the winner of Notre Dame, Texas A&M. I got the Ducks going to the Final Four. I'm not sure about the Beavers. Though they have experience, though they have history on their side, and though they have a great coach and Scott Ruick on their side, playing Baylor in Lexington, Kentucky... That's just a really, really tall task. I'm not sure if they get it done, um, but I'll take Oregon to make it. All right, we'll go away, come back, take a look at the men's side of the NCAA tournament and the regional matchups that are going to follow starting tomorrow afternoon, and we'll run down the entire schedule that you'll be listening to those games right here on your home of March Madness, 102.9-750 The Game. The Quack Attack has its final segment up next on The Game. 
Shock Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 The Game. If you miss anything from the Quack Attack tonight or all season long, you can find it by uh, going to SoundCloud, soundcloud.com backslash one JS Newby. If you have an iPhone, just to fire up the iTunes store and uh, search Judah Newby in the search bar. I got all my stuff on Pod Machine uh, right there. Tyson Alger, the Oregonian and Oregon Live, joined us earlier. You can catch that there as well. This is the final segment of the final show of the Quack Attack this year. Oregon Duck football spring game coming up April 21st. That's the next big benchmark of uh, of Oregon athletics. Of course, all the track and field stuff, all the baseball stuff as well. That'll go into the uh, spring and summertime. And then September 1st is the season opener for Oregon football against Bowling Green. And uh, that'll be the first full season under Mario Cristobal. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Sweet 16 matchups, it starts tomorrow, 4.07, first tip. Hear it on Westwood 1, right here on 102.9.750, the game. Big games tomorrow include the 11-seed Loyal Chicago against 7-seed Nevada. Nevada is a one-point favorite. Uh, Party, your bracket, is it RIP City right now? Is it just like everybody else's? It was RIP City after the first night, pretty much. Yes. Yeah. I feel your pain. By Sunday, it's like, okay, well... Here we go. Let's reseed now. <laughs> let's just re- let's just re- let's just do a rebracket. Let's just rebracket and start over. Who's your champ? Uh well, I picked Michigan State. I'm a Michigan State fan, so I went with them. I, they were having a good year. I Dude, thought they had a shot. Bridges and... is Bridges is nice though. He yeah, had, he had an off game against Syracuse, obviously because uh, everybody did. That was crazy defensive effort for Cuse, but that two three matchup zone. Yeah, it, uh, and Bridges started just shooting these step backs and just trying to you know. Force him, force his way into a good game, which I'll never understand. All these step back, jump back, three point shot. I just, I'll never t- get it. It's the egos on these one and dones, bro. Uh, I, it's something. You it know, must be. Everybody thinks they're Harden. Uh, yeah. By the way, last night, oh. holy cow! <laughs> I was at a beat ups. Whole bar was just like, it's so funny. Like, there's a science. Sorry, Blazer fan. There's, there is a science which you are not apparently. I'm gathering. <laughs> There is a science between watching games at a bar. You know, yeah. that, like you could deconstruct that whole process. It's fascinating. As as someone that has watched a lot of games at sports bars in his, in his day. I'm with you. When the uh, star of the opposing team like hits a clutch shot. Ooh. Everybody at the bar, their their hands go to the beer like simultaneously, <laughs> and then like they tilt it back and they put their head down <laughs> and they put the beer back and they're like Damn it. <laughs> in unison. In unison, yeah. Yeah, I'm still trying to come up with a name for it. But somebody's got to write a book on the uh, deconstructing the science and the process of watching games at sports bars. All and that, that has to be a chapter. It's Because that happened last night so many times. I bet it did, yeah. When hard, we, were, we were all watching collective. It's me and a bunch of strangers, mind you. Yeah. It's like Harden, you know, starts to go ISO on like Nurkic or something. Uh. And we're like, oh, God. Bad matchup. Oh, God. And then he steps back, you know, in the eye. And then it's like, no. And it's hand of the beer. Throw the beer back. One, two seconds. Bang it back down on the bar. Damn it. It doesn't always look pretty coming out of his hand, but damn it, he makes it look good, though. Dude. He got it. was so sick. You know, so props up to the NBA MVP, James Harden. Mm. All right, back to my bracket. 
Uh, <laughs> I did have Loyola Chicago making the Sweet 16. That's the did only you really? really good really? thing. I Yes. That's wow. The, that's the only upset. Because I was like, 11 seed, someone, the 11 seed's going to make it. That's right. I wasn't sold on Tennessee as a three seed this year. Um, but, uh, and by the way, shout out Brian Wheeler, whose alma mater is Loyola Chicago. Nice. So shout out Wheels for that. But Nevada is a one-point favorite. I'll take Loyola Chicago to win again Ooh. in Atlanta. Um you got Thursday at 6.37 here on the game. Nine-seed Kansas State and five-seed Kentucky. Kentucky is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I think Kentucky wins and covers. At 7.07 tomorrow night from Los Angeles, nine-seed Florida State and four-seed Gonzaga. Gonzaga fi- favored by five-and-a-half points. I'll take Gonzaga to win and cover. Friday's action starts at 4.07 from Omaha. Five-seed Clemson and one-seed Kansas. Clemson's offense has been ridiculous. Kansas is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll take Kansas to win, but not to cover. I mean, that's going to be a close game. Uh, Friday afternoon at 427 in Boston, five-seed West Virginia and one-seed Villanova. Villanova favored by five. I'll take Nova to win and cover. Friday night in Omaha, 11-seed Syracuse and two-seed Duke. Duke is an 11-point favorite. I don't think there's. I don't think Syracuse replicates their upset uh, upset luck that they had over Michigan State. That they'll they won't do that against Duke. So the Blue Devils will win there. And then Friday at 9:57 Eastern Time in Boston, they'll tip off between the three seed Texas Tech and the two seed Purdue. Purdue favored by a point and a half. I will take Texas Tech to win. Uh, so yeah, there you have it. Oh, I didn't even mention Texas A&M and Michigan in Los Angeles Thursday at 4:37. I'm taking Texas A&M to beat Michigan. In that game, so you're welcome, Party Sparty Nation. Uh, I had Houston. No I had Houston upsetting Michigan in the in the round of 32, and that okay, that uh, buzzer beater really killed me. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> just a little. True to form, on the last show of the year, we're over the clock. You know, it's all right. Consistency is a virtue, Party. It, it really is. is, and we're consistent with that. It's all right, though. Appreciate you, my brother, all season long. It's been real. It's been fun. I'm Judah Newby. He's Chris, Chris Partee. we got CBS Sports Radio coming up on the other side. I'll be giving you your updates during the Dan Patrick Show tomorrow morning right here on The Game. And catch me at the 15 and 45 on FM News 101 KXL as well. This has been the Quack Attack. This is 1029 and 750 The Game.